Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Deborah Korn will join us to discuss EMDR. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, trauma, it can be severely debilitating. The struggles that patients face last for years. How can we treat trauma and are there new approaches? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Deborah Korn. Dr. Korn is an internationally renowned pioneer and expert in EMDR therapy. She is on the faculties of the EMDR Institute and the Trauma Research Foundation, which is in Boston. She presents and consults internationally on the treatment of adult survivors of childhood abuse and neglect. Together with Michael Baldwin, she has penned the new book, Every Memory Deserves Respect, EMDR, The Proven Trauma Therapy with the Power to Heal. Dr. Korn, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you, Charles. It's my pleasure to be with you. Well, this is a, certainly a fascinating book. She presented a therapeutic approach. I'm curious why you decided to put the book together. Well, Michael Baldwin came to me with this idea for creating a book about trauma, about EMDR therapy, after he spent about two years in EMDR therapy and basically turned his life around. He had spent about 22 years struggling and suffering with depression and anxiety and phobias and fear of intimate relationships and PTSD symptoms. He had seen eight different therapists and had not gotten any significant relief. And then he landed in EMDR therapy with one of my colleagues and basically reclaimed his life. And he came to me with phenomenal enthusiasm and excitement about EMDR and really feeling like the people of the world needed to know about this therapy that has been around for 30 years, but still was not out there in the public eye, really was misunderstood perhaps by many who knew about it. There's quite a bit of misinformation about EMDR therapy out there. And Michael's story was just so compelling that it inspired my interest in mental health advocacy Certainly, it pulled on my appreciation and love of EMDR. I've been practicing for about 30 years. We decided to come together to write this book, and the book is written in our two voices. It's the voice of a trauma expert and a so-called EMDR expert and the voice of a trauma survivor and EMDR client. And Michael talks about his trauma history, his symptoms and struggles, his experience with EMDR, therapy and his transformation. And I provide an overview of trauma and post-traumatic symptoms and the process of recovery and the nuts and bolts of the MDR therapy. And in this book, we really have a chance to share case vignettes from my own practice and people really get to wrap their head around what this therapy is. What types of traumas does this particular therapy, is it effective for or is it better for some than others? Maybe let's start by defining trauma, (laughs) just the, the concept. In my mind, and in terms of the way we talk about it in the book, trauma is a part of life. 
right? 70% of adults have experienced at least one significant trauma in their lives. We define trauma very broadly in the book. We define it as any experience that feels overwhelming, triggers strong negative emotions like shame or terror, and involves a sense of powerlessness or intense vulnerability. And trauma is both objective and subjective. It's both the event and the way that that event is experienced by someone. So no two people respond to the same event in the same way. What might be traumatizing for one person is not so traumatizing for the next. But we do know that the greater the number of traumas that someone is exposed to, the greater the psychological and physical toll. And we also know that trauma is cumulative and it's developmentally bound, meaning, again, the more trauma there is, the more repetitive it is, the longer term it is, the more devastating it can be. And it's developmentally bound, which means that children and adolescents are much more vulnerable than adults to trauma. They have much fewer resources to contend with trauma. And in the book, we talk about big T and little t traumas. And big T traumas are those events that most anyone would consider traumatic, what some people might call shock traumas, where the person perceives a potential threat to their survival or to the survival of loved ones. So here we're talking about childhood sexual, physical or emotional abuse, rape or physical assault, the traumatic death or murder of a loved one, combat-related trauma, devastation related to an environmental disaster, witnessing violence. When we talk about little t traumas, these are the experiences that people might not necessarily recognize as traumatic or events that might not necessarily meet the criteria for so-called trauma in our diagnostic manuals. So here we're talking about exposure to criticism or covert bullying or experiences of betrayal, experiences involving humiliation or failure or aloneness, subtle microaggressions as well as blatant discrimination or hostility related to race or ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation. Little t examples from adulthood, maybe a divorce, losing a job, a difficult move, the discovery of a partner's affair. Examples from childhood, feeling ignored, feeling different, unable to measure up, experiencing powerlessness in a family that's just chaotic or where things are just crazy of a parent with a mental illness or with an addiction. And the last thing I'll, I'll say about trauma is that typically involves both omission and commission. So commission, here we're talking about acts that are committed against, right? Abuses committed against but it also involves omission, acts of omission, situations where things were supposed to happen but didn't. So situations where someone, often a child, was not properly protected or listened to, cared for, or valued. So here we're talking about experiences of neglect, deprivation, abandonment, experiences of alienation, and EMDR therapy is effective, is profoundly useful with this whole range of traumatic experiences, both the big T traumas and the little t traumas, both the omission and the commission. It's also useful in helping people deal with and process 
adverse experiences that perhaps they wouldn't even label as traumatic. They wouldn't even think about as traumatic, or maybe someone else might label, not label as traumatic, but for them, it was an experience that they experienced as quite devastating or debilitating. Well, first off, what is EMDR and how then can EMDR help address those issues? So maybe I'll start by explaining that the name EMDR, the acronym EMDR, stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. It's a mouthful. It's an earful. I often get tongue-tied saying it even after 30 years. So desensitization refers to the reduction of distress, fear, and anxiety. Reprocessing refers to the reevaluation or the restructuring of thoughts and beliefs and the transformation of oneself relative to past traumatic experiences. So EMDR reprocessing is about moving the past into the past, deactivating that trauma so it's not affecting you in the present any longer. And then there's the eye movement part. Now, Francine Shapiro, a psychologist, the developer of EMDR, accidentally discovered that purposely moving your eyes horizontally back and forth while focusing on traumatic memory leads to a reduction in the vividness and the emotional intensity of the memory. She developed an effective protocol for treating PTSD and trauma-related problems, and she published the first research study in 1989. Her work involved treating rape survivors and combat veterans. So here we are 30 years later. EMDR is a memory-focused comprehensive psychotherapy. It's no longer just a technique as she developed it back years ago, but it's a comprehensive psychotherapy that helps people deal with the impact and the legacy of trauma and adverse experience in their lives. And it's based on the idea that psychological problems are related to a failure to adequately process traumatic experiences, traumatic memories. These unprocessed traumatic memories that are frozen or locked in our nervous system continue to affect how we perceive things, the decisions we make, the reactions we have, the beliefs we hold about ourselves and others. Present day triggers activate these unprocessed traumatic memories leading to symptoms that cause ongoing distress. And with EMDR processing, a client's distress eventually decreases and relevant adaptive bits of information located in other parts of the brain, helpful present-day perspectives get integrated. So the client lands in a place where they can truly say and feel and believe it's over. I'm safe now, right? I was only a kid doing the best that I could do. It wasn't actually my fault. I'm in control now. I have choices. The past is in the past. So there are shifts in thoughts, in feelings, in behaviors, in physical sensations over the course of a processing, a reprocessing session. And healing involves spontaneous movement toward more positive thinking and more manageable feelings and a significant reduction in the level of disturbance experienced in one's body. What does this type of therapy entail? Are there certain people that are more amenable to it? So... Early sessions involve taking a thorough history with the client, establishing safety and trust within the therapeutic relationship, and resourcing, skill-building work if needed to make sure that a client is ready to approach challenging emotional material. Now, most people 
don't show up saying, I want to work on my traumatic memories from age five or age 12. Most walk through our doors and say, I'm miserable. I'm having trouble coping. I'm having marital problems. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I have PTSD symptoms. And we often begin with the client's current distress and float back, looking for the root of the distress. We search for relevant memories to target, kind of following the body, the distress in the body back. And once the target memory is identified, we activate the memory through a series of questions. And then we introduce 30 to 60 second sets of eye movements or bilateral back and forth stimulation to jumpstart and support the brain stalled information processing system. Over the years, we've discovered that other forms of what we call bilateral stimulation are also effective in reducing distress. We might have clients track our fingers with their eyes as the fingers move back and forth or track a light that moves back and forth or if we're working virtually, a ball back and forth on the screen. Or we might have them listen to alternating tones, or we might tap back and forth on their hands as they rest them in their lap. And with every set of bilateral stimulation, the client is asked to simply notice what changes or emerges and to report images, thoughts, feelings, sensations. We encourage them to just notice, to be a passenger on a train, just watching the scenery go by. We remind them over and over that it's old stuff. And we stress the importance of dual attention, keeping one foot in the present at all times while accessing the past. And with every set of bilateral stimulation, we ask, what do you notice? What's changing? And over the course of processing, clients remember and process fear, grief, anger, guilt, shame. We work to keep the processing body focused. And in the course of processing, a client might imagine saying or doing what they never got to say or do previously, expressing their rage or running or fighting back with superhuman strength. They might also spontaneously see their younger self and offer compassion and care. But again, as I said, a client's distress eventually decreases and relevant adaptive information gets integrated in. And comprehensive treatment addresses these past traumatic events, current triggers and symptoms, and helps clients reach for future behavioral goals. Even though EMDR was developed originally for PTSD, and it is a vetted evidence-based treatment for PTSD, it is being used with a range of populations, with a range of problems, and there is mounting of other trauma-related disorders as varied as bipolar disorder and depression to eating disorders, to panic and anxiety, to OCD. It's being used with children and adolescents, and there's more and more support for work with that population. It's being used with combat veterans. It's being used immediately after traumatic experiences. So the applications are quite vast. Sounds like it's moved beyond the eye movement to any type of modality, auditory, or touch, as long as it switches from both sides. There's something special about that mode of stimulation that decouples emotional aspects of the trauma from cognitive? Well, there are a lot of hypotheses about what we call bilateral stimulation. And, you know, bilateral stimulation refers to any facilitated stimulation that challenges the client to orient or track laterally back and forth with their attention, stimulating both sides of the brain. So again, it could be eyes, it could be the use of tones, it could be the use of taps on the client's hands. And in terms of the effects of bilateral stimulation, there are over 
30 randomized controlled trials at this point in time that substantiate the positive effects of eye movements. So we now can unequivocally report that eye movements reduce negative emotions, imagery vividness, and emotional arousal. And eye movements seem to increase or enhance memory retrieval, recognition of true information, positive neurophysiological changes, and flexible thinking. And there are many hypotheses about the mechanisms behind EMDR's effectiveness. Probably the leading hypothesis, the one that has the most research support, is called the working memory hypothesis. And this suggests that eye movements, as well as other forms of what's referred to as dual attention stimulation, any stimulation focusing on a memory while engaging in some other activity, any dual attention stimulation that taxes the limited capacity of working memory can be used and leads to a reduction in the vividness and the emotionality of a traumatic memory. How can this be used to improve public health? Well, we certainly know that we are in the midst of a mental health crisis. We certainly know and see every day in the newspaper how widespread trauma, violence, shootings are at this point in time. And we know, you know, that trauma begets trauma. Violence perpetuates violence. We have to break the cycle. We need to reach those who are alienated, misunderstood, abused. We need to heed the research that tells us clearly that trauma is so often at the root of violent acting out behavior. EMDR can be used to help those who have been victimized directly and those who have witnessed violence directly or indirectly. It can also be used to help those who have perpetrated violence, committed crimes, lost themselves in drug abuse. In my mind, we really need to be working toward becoming a trauma-informed society where we see people as traumatized and dysregulated rather than as damaged goods or as bad or unworthy of redemption. And we need to help people get at the root of the symptoms so, they, so those symptoms don't resurface, so the acting out doesn't continue. We want to pull the weeds out by the roots rather than cut them and have them grow back. We want to transform and heal people's traumatized nervous systems. And so EMDR is a psychotherapy that really works to transform from the inside out, that really helps to address the root causes of so many of the issues that we're reading about, that we're hearing about. And, you know, as we are coming through this pandemic, the effects of this worldwide traumatic experience are being seen in so many different ways, particularly with children and adolescents. And I'm glad that our book is out and available at this time, particularly because EMDR is a psychotherapy for these times. And I think it can really make a difference in helping people heal and in interrupting that cycle of violence and traumatization. Well, uh, we are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if people want to learn more about EMDR, where can they go? Well, I would direct people toward our website, which is everymemorydeservesrespect.com. And on that website, you will find articles and essays and links to resources. You'll find links to podcasts and other interviews and presentations. There's also a section on the website about upcoming events where anything that we have scheduled that's open to the public 
and or mental health professionals is posted. Our book is available from many online booksellers, from our publisher. You can find it, of course, at brick and mortar bookstores. It's also available on Audible, so you can listen to it if you prefer. And I would encourage people to reach out to me or to my co-author through our website, again, which is everymemorydeservesrespect.com. We were just talking with Dr. Deborah Korn, together with Michael Baldwin. She's written, Every Memory Deserves Respect, EMDR, The Proven Trauma Therapy with the Power to Heal. Dr. Korn, thank you so much for joining us today on The Grok Science Show. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure being with you today. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.